Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Today's guest is the fantastic chef, Jessica Cazzo of Squirrel in Los Angeles. We recorded this recently, I think last week, after I did a podcast with chefs Chad Robertson of Tartine and Chris Bianco of Bianco Pizzeria and a few other restaurants in Arizona. And they teamed up to open up Tartine Manufacturing down in the Row, which is downtown Los Angeles. And it's a small world, right? And uh, you might hear Jess drop the name of Chad and Chris Bianco. Um, and it's only because we recorded this right after Chad and Chris, and we'll get to their podcast down the road. Um, it's maybe a little bit weird if you're a regular listener because we've been recording and releasing podcasts that we've uh, done you know, two, oftentimes three months ago because we've been banking a lot of these in anticipation for the birth of our first child. So this is a fresh off the press podcast with Jessica Coslow. And I wanted to do that because I thought it might be a nice bookend to the last week podcast that we did with Lola's Eli, the great food writer, journalist, now screenwriter, and one of my favorite conversations I've had all year, and where we talked about judgment and food and acceptance and change in, in, in just how we understand food in today's world with awards and such. One of the conversations that I wanted to have with Jessica was the fact that I feel like she's criminally underappreciated. And that's I think something a lot of people won't agree with because squirrel and squirrel's food and influence is widely imitated. It's one of the most popular restaurants in America in Los Angeles and has revolutionized how people eat breakfast and lunch and all day dining. And the fact of the matter is Jessica has done it in a very difficult way, right? Like there's a lot of love. She buys the same ingredients at the very best restaurants. In fact, I think her relationships with farmers are as deep as they can get. And, uh, you know, she really cares about how food tastes. Again, that seems like an asinine statement for a chef to say, but like, you know, at the end of the day, I think what makes her food taste better than most is she just cares more and her team cares more. And if you haven't gone or eaten at a restaurant, highly recommend it. And it's it's sort of an iconic institution over the past eight years as it's um, made people happy. It's the food I feel like everyone that I meet or visits Los Angeles, it's on their stop. It's a place that they have to eat at uh, for good reason. And Jessica, I feel like should be winning Best Chef America and Squirrel should be up there for most outstanding restaurant because I think it really challenges the assumption of what a great restaurant is and all praise to her and her team for doing that because, you know, things can become antiquated in my opinion. And I think a restaurant like Squirrel should get all the praise and more. If you just look at the landscape of how what they've done has been widely imitated in America today, those are the restaurants that should be praised more. And yes, it's busy and people love it. But you know what? When you listen to this podcast, I think you'll hear just how hard it can still be in in this restaurant industry, particularly for someone as accomplished and talented as Jessica Coslow. And uh, I was really honored to have her on this podcast. So I've talked way too much. Uh, I'll let you guys listen in. I'll shut up now. Here's my podcast with Jessica Coslow, Chef of Squirrel. Communal dining to me is just to me the way I want it in everything. Everyone's sharing and everyone's eating the same thing, but you can customize it. What happens when you go, and this happens to me, when you go to dinner with that one person that's like, you know what? I just want my own dish. Yeah. You delete their number. (laughs) Well, no, that's the first and only time I'll go out to dinner with them. Yeah. Because it tells you so much about someone. It really does. Unless they have like some kind of like cold or sickness or allergy. Yeah. But if someone doesn't want to share or talk about the food in a way that we can all engage in, like, yeah. no, they're out. Yeah. Delete. Beware. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have the great chef, Jessica Caso in the house. Oh, my gosh. Very happy to be here. Usually we get to chat quite often. We do. But without a microphone and, and no, this. No, 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 no. You know. I knew I wanted to get you on, but my time is so fucking nuts right now in terms of when I can get be in LA, get guests, because I did not plan on the child happening this year. My whole plan got. What do you mean? What was your plan? Spend time in LA. 
Okay. Yeah, that was a plan that you did have. And, and, and yeah. I was in LA last year. Now it's like part-time after the baby's born back out here. Okay. What I didn't anticipate and I'm learning was Grace was like, I don't want to move while pregnant. Yeah. I'm so yeah. dumb. Yeah. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm such a slow learner. You know what? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Everything that makes her feel comfortable is there. Yeah. So keep her comfortable and happy and then we'll embrace her when she's ready. But yes. it is true. Like I got to see you a lot more last year. And then now it's like, a, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in town tonight. <laughs> what are you doing? So, yeah, I, it's been nuts. And I wanted to obviously hang out more, particularly with your husband, who I love so much. I know. He's such a great guy. He's the best. I know. No he, offense. I just want to hang out with him all the time. He, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But I'm a good sharer at dinner. Are, so don't forget are. that. You are a good um, sharer. But, but he's, uh, I think in our industry, we can be around food people all day long and it can be a little exhausting. And it's really nice. My husband is a deputy district attorney here in Los Angeles, and he pretty much focuses on murders and a lot of unsolved cold cases, but was in politics for many years. And so it's always a joy to have him be he's a part of the conversation. So, he's doing something actually important. I know, I know. And we think about it. And we're, I, I always think about that when I come home and I'm like, okay, this person didn't show up today and this is his final warning. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm giving this family the justice that they deserved. And I'm like, okay, you win. Always, <laughs> always. <laughs> and he loves ordering Domino's when you're away. That's my favorite part I about I mean, him. I was gone a lot of January. And every time I come home, I just immediately go to the trash can and lift up the lid. And there's a Domino's box in there. There's no shame in it. It's just, it's part of like the dance that we do now. But I think that literally was the thing that brought you two together yeah. was your mutual love of dominoes. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, I want to get you on. You have unexpectedly changed, I think, dining in a way that is really very everything I see squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about that? And that is a hyperbolic statement, but a very true statement. You have had a tremendous impact on how people eat the past 10 years. I won't deny it. I think what I'm seeing is a lot more quick service environments opening because Squirrel has managed to be successful just in quick service, just in the, the model itself, like not talking about the food. That'll be an interesting thing to see how it sticks because there is some frustration with the idea that you have to wait in line, you get a ticket, you sit down, your food's brought to you. The kind of old service model of being asked your order by table is being minimized now. But dining is changing, you know, like I think about Major Domo here and it, it really part of the joy of it is it's an event. You go there as a group, you, you share the dishes, like there's some table side action that happens and dining requires that to be successful as a by the table service model. So just from a service standpoint, I see what, how Squirrel's success has kind of changed how people are eating. Um, and then the food itself is the way that I want to cook is to give people like a real meal. People should be able to order to share, but they should also be able to get a dish and feel like it's a complete, it has all those things going for it, whether it's texture, acid, brightness, whatever it is. And I think that's also been really interesting to see how other restaurants are now creating places where that dish has to be a holistic experience. I don't know. I mean, people can look at photos and, and if they're not familiar with the food, they might see it as, well, that's not like a fat duck LBE, why people like it. Oh, it's just toast or it's just this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I believe, <laughs> and this is a, the, the best compliment I can give you, is I don't think you get enough credit for being a world-class chef because people assume that the food is quote-unquote comfortable or approachable. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why people line up to eat your food. You care so much about your ingredients, the provenance, the best moment to eat something. And you apply great technique and uh, knowledge to make something super delicious. Yeah. And I think it sometimes almost works against you in terms of getting the accolades that I think you should be getting because people are like, oh, it's... Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, I also, I agree with that statement. 
there was a Twitter comment that happened a couple of days ago that said, you know, I have a gripe about the squirrel cookbook, which it's not approachable. And I didn't write back to it. But what what I wanted to say was that you're right, because the food at Squirrel feels very approachable and very comfortable, but these are the recipes from the restaurant and they're not approachable. They actually require a lot of different techniques to make those dishes what they are. So at the end of the day, what you get in front of you might be a chopped salad, but behind the scenes, there's all this trickery that's happening to make it feel really basic. And I feel that the same sort of, I wouldn't say stigma, but ceiling that you have to work against well, not racism. It's it's the same kind of ignorance and bias that I feel like I see when people say like, oh, Asian food is simple or it's got to be cheap <laughs> or, you know, like it can't be this. I was like, who the fuck said that? And it's amazing. I often have to have this conversation with people that are your biggest fans. I'm like, it's so good. I'm like, <sighs> yeah, it's really good because she's really good. I think you might be my, <laughs> my number one fan, Dave. <laughs> And it's like, I know you're trying to support her and you love it, but like what you need to be doing is putting her on the same level as everyone else that you think is great. Yeah. Because it's not easy to do as we've seen by a lot of the imitators. I think that you, and this is always a question I have with you, is that, you know, you have the high end, you have the co, you have the space in Toronto, but you also have developed places like Momofuku where technique and trickery is in there, but you're really trying to feed a lot of people. And at the end of the day, even though this plagues me, my focus really is on how do I feed people well every day at a price that is reasonable? And when I leave Squirrel, like it's one of those places, there's a reason why the line's that long. Yeah. Again, no one wants to wait in line because they want to, but the fact is- Definitely it's not. It's fucking no one does. delicious. And you leave me like, I'm so happy, yeah. which is why people saw how did you squirrel. do that? Yeah. And then I'm like, here, let me give you the recipe. There's 20 set. It reads like an Otolenghi recipe, you know? And that's not going to change. You're so bitter and jaded. You don't think it's going to change? No, no, no. I don't think it's my, the recipes that I make are. are I, but perception. Like people eat your jams. I'm like, yeah, she spends a lot of time in yeah. making the jam. Why is it more expensive than Schmuckers or whatever the fuck? I'm like, because it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to go into those details. You know, I think I think base level information is what people want. Like, why is it different? Well, let me tell you, there's no added pectin in it. We use this kind of fruit. You know, it's not frozen. It's fresh. All of those little things that no one else is really doing is kind of what makes squirrel special, but also pretty exhausting for me, to be honest. You work a lot. Yeah. How do you do it? You know, I, I was actually talking to Chad and Chris outside about, you know, like I'm in the place where I'm going from one restaurant to two. I think that's the biggest hurdle. Then once you get to two, the others can kind of happen. At least I hope so. But like just getting to two, I'm, I just don't know. How do you, how does that happen? How do you do it? What do you mean? Like I'm taking this perspective from someone that doesn't know what you're talking about. Okay. You're successful. Squirrel has been in mm -hmm. business for how long? Since 2011. So. Right. And you spent time working for Anne, who, who are the chefs? Anne, Anne Petrano yes. from Bacchanalia. Um, I did work out here at a place called the Village Bakery in Australia, just stage there at a place called Dench, but did spend most of my time at Bacchanalia and all of her restaurants and in Atlanta. Skating, ice skating and... Uh, well, here's Academics the thing. were priorities before. Sure. So here's the thing that people don't, I think, don't know that we share, which is <laughs> I grew up figure skating, but on a very professional level. You grew up playing. Competitive golf. Competitive golf. Yes. But those sports moments are what helped to shape us into who we are today, where we were passionate about one thing, like truly one thing or driven in that one thing. And it helped us when we left those sports to find that other thing that we wanted to be driven in. It's actually the thing that I'm most like, people are like, what do you, uh, like Dave, like what do you admire about him? You know, uh, other than you've been able to have a number of restaurants all over the world and manage it, you know, people would say flawlessly as well as have these other kind of components of your career. I would say that the thing that I'm jealous of is that you went to Korea as a commentator for the Winter Olympics, oh my God. which is, 
You know, and you got to hang out with the Shibutanis. You, that was always been my dream as a little girl. Is to, ice dancing. As, as not ice dancing, but just be in the Olympics for figure oh, skating. I know, I'm so sorry. And there sorry. you are, just hanging out with the Shibutanis. Yeah, just I don't know. The little girl in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> wanted to I'm like so roll sorry. into your suitcase. Yeah, I don't know how this happened and I have nothing to ever complain about. It was uh, a year ago today. This is probably one of the most fun moments I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, like, you know, I would have loved that you have gone there. But, like, <laughs> I could have been like the person yeah. in your ear telling you what the, okay, Nathan Chen, she, he just fell on that triple Lutz. What is going on? He, he Quadruple Lutz, actually. Like he is the most consistent male figure skater in the history of male figure skating. Anyway, next time. I'll next be time. The, I'll I could be have the, used you for thing. some um, curling information. I, I don't know I, that I, I can uh, I got can that offer all that. wrong. Yeah. But long story. I don't know how many times I've told this, but. When we landed, they're like, hey, um, why don't you uh, sort of help cover mixed curling? And that has never happened before. And I had no idea what I was watching. I thought I could figure it out because they're like, maybe we should send you someone that's a curling. expert." <laughs> I got it. I got it. Like, how hard can this be? Yeah. You know, three hours later, jet lag. I have no idea. I have a micro. I'm not a fucking journalist. I have a microphone <laughs> in my hand. And Matt Williams, the brother of the, the, the sister um, family group, comes in. And then I, I simply, <laughs> I'm like in the, like the, the queue for journalists, but I'm like the first one there and I don't even know what I'm doing. And he comes up to me and the first thing I say is congratulations. And he's like, we lost. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my quick uh, yeah. interstitial on why I am bad at winter sports. But so charming. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he deserved it. I felt really bad. He's like, yeah. this motherfucker works his entire life to yeah. get this moment. And the interview is a guy that doesn't even know his sport. I felt really bad. Yeah. And but you deserve to win. No, I no, I didn't. <laughs> I lost. <laughs> but you have that competitiveness and then and, and, uh, academics, right? You went yeah. to Georgetown mm-hmm. for grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're in L.A., Born and bred. Person. Born and bred, yeah. And did you stay on the East Coast? I did. I, you know, I lived on the East Coast for ten years, and I actually think that it's um, great to leave where you're from. It can give you the appreciation for it when you return. And that was something that even happened to me in Atlanta. Is you know starting to realize how how short the growing seasons are, how small of a footprint they had to farm, and so. Preservation was so important as as a way of life in the South versus here, we just take it all for granted. So it, it made me appreciate not taking it for granted and how to preserve these things as they came in because I could. Or can you say what you appreciated was like, wow, everything we grow in California is way better than the East Coast. <laughs> I mean... I'm going to let you say that. I did. It's I just said it. It's true. It's true. It's, some of it's true. Some of it we can't grow. So, you know, there are some like the Scoppernog in the South. You're like, you can't. You I, Send that to me. Send that to me. But, but 99.9% of everything else. It's true. Let's just <laughs> strawberries. Like Come just on. pretty much everything. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much everything. Yeah. And I've given up. I was like, what about apples? And they're like, no. Yeah. Have you tried Nothing. one of those? Tomatoes. Things? No. Yeah. But you haven't had the one on the Hamptons. No. Not as good. I know. I mean, there's some good stuff out there too. It, I know. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just yeah. simply saying, like, yeah. I know. I know. And then you go to the market and you feel like you're in the sound of music and you just want to spin with your skirt on. Uh, maybe that's and me. You're one of the few restaurants that genuinely utilizes the market. Yeah. And I mean, farmers. We rent a U haul twice a week. We go to the market, pick up all of our produce, have those relationships still with the farmer. I think, I mean, they're doing so much for us. And we're there to provide for the customer. It's also really important to have that relationship with the farmer. Um, I'm going a very long-winded way, roundabout way yeah. of getting to your question about first restaurant to second restaurant. But why did you settle on Squirrel in the location you're in right now? I found it on Craigslist. It was $10,000 to buy out the lease. And if people don't know this, like usually you basically take over the lease, but also what you get when you buy out a restaurant is the permit to be a restaurant because not every location is permitted. It doesn't have a hood. Like all of those things are infrastructure costs. It was, I, I don't know, I, it had an A on the sign and two cockroaches on it. So it wasn't in the best of shape. 
And it took a little while to convert it into what it was, but it was like, it was so low risk. It was $2,000 a month. And I remember taking a friend there and just looking in and being like, am I making the biggest mistake? Cause at the time I was just doing jam and I looked around and I was like, look, it's seven minutes from my house. I'm not really needing people to come in the door. I'm just using this place to like make jam. So it doesn't matter that it's off the beaten path. And it was the best decision I ever made because it was really on the cusp, on the butt crack of Silver Lake, right at the cusp of of where everyone lives. And so it became that community. When I opened the cafe a year later, it became the community restaurant that the community was looking for. And you were serving something they didn't know they needed to have. Totally. Living in New York and living in Australia, that daytime culture, that place to go, the daytime cheers is a really big part of life. And especially in Australia where the ingredients are so vibrant and fresh, I was surprised by... The whole fucking Australian breakfast culture doesn't make any sense why they take it so seriously. Well, so un-Australian. But let me ask you this. Because the ingredients are so expensive, I mean, it really, the ingredients are expensive. Like lunch is a more reasonable option to like go out than at dinner. That's what I found. I remember going and making like a, a meal of tacos with black beans and rice for some friends. And I was like, I just spent $60 on black beans because <laughs> so much of it is imported. Yeah. So that was my take on it was that, okay. It never, never like confounded you as to why it's so good. Like why it's such a weird thing. So I don't fucking know. I spent a lot of time in Australia. Just thinking about this? Thinking about Australia as a whole. It's a confounding, I love it. You obviously, love it. But breakfast cultures, they're fucking dead serious about I know. it. And they're also dead serious about their sports. And coffee. Coffee and drinking alcohol. <laughs> it's true. And if they took everything else in life as seriously as those four things, it would be the global superpower <laughs> by far and away. Like, we'd all be bowing down to Australian dominance. And I don't understand why they don't take everything else as seriously. Because they're fucking militant as fuck about breakfast. I know. I haven't even thought about it that way. Just, just like, channel that energy into world peace or something. <laughs> Uh, but instead, it's like the best porridge you've ever had. I, I mean, it's really good. And that's the thing is like, I can't, I always think that we're doing something unique and special and it's delicious. And then I go there and I'm always like, oh, I can always be doing better. But it's not Aussie breakfast. It's No, it's LA it, breakfast. It's but an LA breakfast. And I mean, an LA lunch. You, you, I mean, no bullshit. Not, not you created, radio, you but. created a whole new genre that didn't exist, right? Like- I can get chicken porridge in the morning. I know. You know, I know Dixler yeah. of Ida wrote a story about like how kanji's cool and it is and it's been around for a long time, but like you've We've, been yeah. serving it a long yeah. time. Yeah. And it's a delicious one. I, and I told you, like, I don't understand why it's so good. It's that Otolenghi special. It's that 27 ingredients, you know, that's why. 27 ingredients go into chicken gruel. Yeah. Yeah. Just should I change the name to Chicken Gruel now? <laughs> you know, and like both you and Hugh Atchison, I, I've told you this, but Hugh's like, Jessica, you're getting people to eat chicken soup for breakfast. And I'm like, this is true. Like we are, we're doing it. And I think they, what is normal for breakfast doesn't have to be normal anymore. And at the same time, people don't really start to come into the restaurant until nine, you know? So it, Breakfast, I still think is that like, oh, I have a piece of toast slathered with nut butter and I'm out the door or something, you know, like, or Soylent, <laughs> whatever it is. But one time Jess was at my apartment in yes. New York and she saw a whole wall of Soylent that. Do you still? No, I, no. it was just like, it was, it was a, a phase. Where it, it was, was a phase because I was like, I have no time. I'm never at home. Maybe I should eat something. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not hungry. And that was it. And I have uh, never really eaten it since because yeah. it does not taste good at all. <laughs> now are you in this the celery cleanse phase? Celery cleanse phase. And yeah. and I have crystals everywhere. <laughs> so Welcome. LA. You're so LA. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think that the food that we're serving at breakfast is also really wonderful at lunch and really fits more lunch than breakfast. And, but you're... Normal eggs and bacon breakfasty stuff sure. is fucking awesome yeah. too. And I just need everyone that listens to this to know if you are now eating breakfast better, literally, Kazo didn't invent it, but the reason it's important is because you opened up squirrel. Like America eats better breakfast. 
because of squirrel. That's a fucking ridiculous statement, but a true one. And you don't have to say yes. I'm just saying. I'm just you, nodding right yeah, now because, I mean, you know. I, and it's, it's hard for someone to say that, but like, you're not going to say that. I can say that. The f- We've had uh, IHOP employees come into Squirrel just to try some of the dishes. And then all of a sudden, a stuffed French toast ended up on the menu at IHOP. It's interesting to fuck see. Fuck you, IHOP. What? Fuck you, IHOP. I know. Well, we're, They're we're, making burgers now. So are fuck, they? Fuck off. IHOP, right? <laughs> IHOP. But- at the same time, we're doing like the Rudy Tutti Fresh and Fruit. You know, we've got like the two eggs and the bacon and the we've done the basics menu because I think that's what people want. But it's really good basics. It's really it's, good bacon. Yeah. It's really good sausage. Really great eggs. I mean, how different than that is some Italian chef being like, I got the best tomatoes and the best mozzarella. But for whatever reason, that gets romanticized yeah. as something that's beautiful and yeah. wins awards. And what you're doing has had greater impact. You know, it's Maybe like, that's the award. And I think that's what kind of keeps me pushing. Like I could sing Sorrel Pesto for the rest of my life, but I can't keep looking back at that. Like I now need to see what else we're going to develop. And I think what's really interesting is that Squirrel's menu, basics menu has changed in the past six months. Maybe 20% of the menu has shifted. No one really talks about it. It just becomes a new normal. But it's something that I, I strive for is to keep pushing. How come people aren't talking about these stories? Writers not- are always looking for stories, and yeah. maybe Squirrel has been talked about too much, you know. So they're now they're but now they're, trying to figure they're out. Looking what's at next. the thing that is the lowest hanging fruit, there's a lot more fruit that yeah. needs to be plucked That's on the true. squirrel tree and put into a jam. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I need it all. So um, so anyway, are we back to yeah back to what what why I think the second restaurant is so fucking hard? Yes, is, again, roundabout way to get here. We could talk another week about all the trials and tribulations about you finding something to say and owning something that should never have happened. Success makes restaurant too hard. I don't think it's just restaurants. I think that there is correlation exactly to the sophomore slump because how are you supposed to top something you were never supposed to be good at to begin with? And it's just getting over that, that thing. And the other more practical level is the fact that You've been really good at operating something. You've become an expert in operating. Unless you open the exact same thing, like you're basically doing a whole different business. So basically, and especially I've learned from my own experience, if you've taken the things that made you successful in restaurant one, you better be really like prepared to understand that like those are not going to work on restaurant two. And how are you going to have the time to reflect now to know what works, what doesn't, because You're now making only, me nervous yeah, right now, well, by the way. <laughs> you know, I have that effect. You got to now have time to re- operate restaurant one. And now with all the other workload of restaurant two, you don't have the time to like pivot faster. The and good thing for things. you is when your restaurant two opened, it was right down the street. But it was a fucking disaster. I mean, come on. It was the craziest thing anyone could have opened up. What do you mean? Zombar, burritos. But it's... I mean, how many years ago was that? And it's still 2006. here. And there are some like iconic dishes that people still come back for. Yeah, but that wasn't the goal. Sure. It would be like if you open up, uh, we'll talk about your next restaurant venture and you're like, I'm just going to sell blood sausage. <laughs> I'm decided. <laughs> I'm really successful. So like, let me just go out on a limb and just yeah. start selling blood sausage. Yeah. It's just like, what? That could be a restaurant three. <laughs> yeah. So what are the what are the difficulties without getting into the nitty gritty that you're experiencing on like a thirty thousand square foot like viewpoint? Like what's so hard mm. now? Mm. And what is a second restaurant? Oh hi, yeah, second restaurant. Um, it's so interesting that you had Chris and Chad on because I've partnered with Gabriella Camara from Contramar to open a restaurant in Santa Monica, which is only 13 miles away from Squirrel, but basically you should just get on a plane. It would be the same thing as getting on a plane. You know, can, it is, for those that don't know Los Angeles, can you explain where Squirrel is located and mm-hmm. where you're about to go? Yeah. Squirrel is located downtown, basically on the east side of Los Angeles, close to downtown. Santa Monica is by the water. So it's kind of like when the LA marathon starts, like it starts closer to where Squirrel is and ends closer or the half marathon component ends at in Santa Monica. You're talking about like Bushwick circa 2000 sure. versus the Upper East Side, 80th and Madison. 
I can't. More sort of? Like Lower East that, Side versus uh, upper, upper, yeah, upper, upper East. Yeah. I mean, it's really a night and day. It is a night Two and day. Two completely and, different and clientele. And the type of clientele too. So, you know, like understanding clientele is an interesting component. Staffing. Um, I think the the biggest thing that happens for chefs, and I, you'd probably agree, is that the majority of your time is two things. One is being taken up by HR, just dealing with humanity and life and personal issues and being hopefully a good boss and a leader. And also giving ownership. You start this because you love cooking and then you become more of a mentor to your team and giving them the ability to fly. You know, so I think this year has really been a step back because I've been very much like I'm still on the line at Squirrel on Saturday and Sunday, really taking this year to give ownership to people that deserve it and to step back so that I have the space to open the new spot. And that has been the most eye opening thing for me is to be like, hey, I can't control everything anymore. And I have to give ownership to people. How terrifying of a feeling and realization is that? And I, mean, I know you've known that, but yeah, when you I've actually have that. to go through yeah. it, it's a completely different realization. It's actually kind of like liberating, you know? It's actually liberating to, to say like, and maybe it's more scary for them because they don't have the trust fall of me just there being like, okay, I'm going to pick up the pieces. But hopefully I've, I've taught people enough to be able to like feel good about being in control. And that's what I've seen is like some serious ownership that maybe I've stunted. You know, so that's the, that's what do you mean by stunted? Well, I think just by being there to kind of step in has somewhat, maybe the CDC didn't think they had the ownership to like develop their team out or to develop an idea. And just to say, look, I want you to have the idea and the framework and execute it and let me taste it when you're ready. And then we can talk about it versus like me being a part of it from the start I completely empathize. And I always wonder if someone that doesn't know the industry or been in the situation, I always find that they have a hard time believing that it could be so hard, right? Like stepping away because the reason you're successful is because you care so much. Yeah. And I don't know. I love your, just the side note is if it's a better way to understand it, this is how I use it is it's like being a parent. You care so much about your child and then they go off to college. But if you've made every decision for them, Sometimes they they gotta, don't know how to do anything. Maybe they're going to break their arm. Like you couldn't have stopped them from tripping or like they want to skateboard. You and can't they, be there every yeah. time. Yeah. So the only thing I wanted, I, I can, as advice, because you're way, you're fucking way smarter on so many things. But where I am still lying, trying to get better at on the delegating part is I thought delegating was just like, here you go. <laughs> oh, you, you want your own thing? You want some more responsibility? Here you go. And just like give it to them and no follow-up, no nothing. I was like, oh, sink or swim. And that doesn't really work. Yeah, I'm more of a follow-up kind of <laughs> yeah. gal. So maybe I'll maybe I'll be... Just do everything opposite of what I've done. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Pete Rawls wrote that nice piece about how you've given people ownership. And I think that that is... Uh, it was Pete, yeah? Yeah. And It's because I learned the hard way, though. I'm just trying to be a better manager, but like, come on, like, all the shitty things that I've been able to like be as a manager I've been. And I always think about it as a parental like aspect. Yeah. I've been a horrible parent. I'm trying my best to be a good parent. Because you're about to be a parent. And I'm about to be a parent. Yeah. (laughs) But I've treated the restaurants like children all of my love. So, you know, I've learned that maybe the best way to love something is to actually like let it go. So, so, so deep, deep words from <laughs> Dave Chang. I hope someone puts that on an I inspirational that, I, like board above yeah. their bed. Yeah, I read that. That was like a Banksy quote. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Vanderpump Rules and I don't know if you watch it, but I love Lisa Vanderpump because she is a hammer and she said the funniest quote about like staff dating by a manager, which was, you're supposed to be on the staff, not on top of them. And I was like, I want that. Because <laughs> <want> <laughs> it's true. True statement. Like, like the restaurants are like, you know, all the people that are there, it's as if they're in Colombia, you know, and they're in their, their dorm room. Like what's going to happen when you bring your freshman class and they're all living in the dorm? Come on. It's going to happen at the restaurant too. Yeah. It, it, we Not are, to go offside topic, are, but Lisa um, Vanderpump has really yeah. made an impression on on my management skills recently. Well, I hated my dorm residents or whatever they are. <laughs> the proctors or just any 
type of school that I've gone, there's been that. And I, I'm now that person. I'm the patrol officer. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm just, I can't believe I'm in a position of responsibility. It's the most frightening thing for I mean, everyone. I think that is a thing. <laughs> Here we are. But you're so much more sensible. Like, I always wonder how someone so sensible got into this stupid business. Because <sighs> you don't know how non-sensible <laughs> I actually am. You know, I, I'll keep that for the husband. He can be the sensible guy and I can be like, all, the, right. all right, I'm just going to, you know, do that. And then now we're in the place where, what else are we going to, this is what we do. Yeah. This is our world. I mean, I'm proud of it. Before we go on, Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter sends you job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter Recruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to the show. You have this brand that I feel like I've been trying to tell you, like, you should put it everywhere. (laughs) So the the thing that I should tell you is, uh, do you know Sophie McNally? Yeah. So Sophie and I have teamed up to do Squirrel Away, which will be our grab and go concept. All and you all you imitators, watch out. I know. <laughs> well, you know what? I think like all bon pan, like maybe Squirrel is trying to imitate that, you know, hey. Squirrel Away. But Squirrel Away is a thing that will be iterated out. And I don't know. I think 2019 will be like a pretty blossomy year for me. But- this is the first day I've put makeup on and worn jeans in all of 2019. I'm usually, this is the year of sweatpants also. Oh, wow. So, um, in 2019, I am opening a restaurant called Raccoon. <laughs> Chipmunk. Yeah. And... Serving rice cakes <laughs> and century eggs. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm so gullible, man. So talk about the second restaurant. Okay. When's second it opening restaurant. up? Talk about your partnership. Pardon me. Um, second restaurant, Santa Monica, partnership with Gabby Camara from Contramar. Again, very it's, famous, iconic restaurant in Mexico City. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing about Gabby and I is that, well, we met at MAD, the Rene Redzepi food Dang. symposium that happens in Copenhagen. We met in 2016. And it wasn't something that we ever, there was never a conversation about let's open up a restaurant together. Um, but I think we share a very similar idea about what food is and how it should be presented. And, you know, we're really trying to do, again, like food that you want every day in a place that you want to be in. Uh, and so when I looked at this space in Santa Monica, I just called her and I said, I know this is very strange, but I know that we share a similar idea about the world and about flavor and food. And would you ever consider doing this? And she's like, I am basically the culinary at, like advisor for the new president of Mexico. And my life is very full. And I was like, can you just look at the space? And so she came down and looked at it and was like, this is amazing. Let's do it. So it's opening end of June. There's no name yet. So by the time raccoon, this comes out, raccoon. Yeah, right now I was like, what is squirrel in Spanish? I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, but it will be a Mexican restaurant, but with squirrely undertones. So textures and flavors and those little techniques that I can bring to the table and really just kind of like a treaty between two sister cities by two female chefs. So very exciting. And do you have to do room service? No. Oh God. No, God. No, no, You're so lucky. It's, it's really like Lake Cuckoo where the lovely restaurant in New York city. That's a part of the Howard hotel, which is, it's its own restaurant. It's a standalone, um, restaurant in a Spanish 
colonial building from the 20s with a lot of history and it is separate from the hotel itself. So it has its own story. Um, the only reason I'm disparaging room service. Have you done it? <laughs> yeah, we we, we did it when it? we were at the Chambers. And listen, it can be a great business and all that. I'm not talking shit about it. I'm actually. He's looking for just, another gig. No, no, it just right doesn't now. end, right? You have to staff out on right. every time of day and holiday. And it's like having to work brunch service your entire life. You would lose your fucking mind. I think the hard thing for us is that because it's associated with a hotel, it has to be open every single day. You know, Squirrel is closed three days a year, Christmas, New Year's, and Thanksgiving. And those that's an important thing. But at a hotel, there's no closure. And I remember being in Japan. And actually, I was so grateful that there was a hotel around to get coffee because around New Year's, Everything all of closes. Japan closes. And I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this? Like, You, should, you didn't ask me. I know. The worst, so the record, the worst time to go to Japan is right time. after Christmas up until like the 10th of January because it's everything's closed. Everything's closed. Everyone's spending time with their families. Skeegee Market is closed. There's nothing open. Yeah. And it's actually the one time you're probably going to get a bad meal in, in Japan mm-hmm. because you're forced to go to restaurants that are always open. It's funny. We actually, you're right. We went to, we, we met up with a sake sommelier and she took us to this place that had just the most extraordinary list of sake. It was cool, but the food was terrible. But it it was like, it wasn't about the food. It was about the sake because that like was the only place that was open. You know, there are places that are open, but- Was that your first time time in Tokyo? No, but it was the first time I would say in in my more adult life. So we we followed a little bit of your path. the wake of destruction. Yeah, which is, you know, that's what you do when you travel, right? Especially in our industry. Like, you're like, why am I going to seven places today? And where is this going to go? But somehow it enters in and then you leave and you're like, I'm disgusting. You would never think about that in Japan. You think everything's you know, so healthy. You know what would crush in Japan? Squirrel. Squirrel Tokyo would I, fucking I know. crush. I know. I mean, I think about it, but like, how do I do restaurant two, Dave? Come yeah. on. After restaurant three. After, yeah. Yeah. After Squirrel Away becomes a thing. But I think, you know, you've told me like, Jess, this is something that's special. Can you iterate this in some way? Because that is like, would be a lifeline for you. And I think Squirrel Away is that opportunity. And I, I think about, you know, for all the people out there like you're one of those people that I'm is on my like tech speed dial when I have any sort of like you know what I'm dealing with a problem and I I need some advice like you are even though maybe you don't want to be that the beacon of that but you you do have that um, charm for me and I think squirrel away is something I've thought about doing and by hearing from you like hey this could work I'm taking taking it to the next level Again, I want to be an advocate for people that are taking chances and doing something great and different. And it always bothers me when people don't get the recognition that they deserve. And no one, again, wants it to happen after the fact. And when I took some time to see just your influence on food, and I actually was like, oh, man, people are copying you left and right. And it's something I never took advantage of when we opened up Momofuku. Listen, like, I don't want to sound like a conceited bastard. I didn't invent anything either, but like what we did, and I just didn't know how to like move faster. And I didn't want to cook that way either. I didn't want to- I mean, a noodle bar opened like two doors down from, I I lived in New York when you opened Momofuku. And I just remember like a noodle bar, maybe like six months later, opening like right down the street. Like, oh, this place is busy. Like we can do this too. And it was a, it was a shot in the dark and, and- I just didn't understand how things would move, right? Mm-hmm. And this is even before like social media, but I was like, if there's someone else I care about, hopefully it never happens to them too, because I was not in a position to take advantage financially or move mm-hmm. as fast. And also I was just a stubborn fucking mule, still am, but I, I didn't want to like replicate the same thing was the furthest thing I ever wanted to fucking do. A little bit different now, but I want to find a way to do it on my own terms. And I saw that, Raccoon. You were rapidly, yeah, raccoon. <laughs> your food was being rapidly copied. And I knew after the publication of the book, I was like, it's only going to happen more. So, I mean. I mean, we're coming out with a jam book in 2020, spring of 2020. I think that is going to be really interesting. Everyone's going to copy it. Yeah. And part of me is like, why, why are we doing it? And it's ownership. It's ownership of 
of that, of saying like, look, this is something that we've been doing professionally as, as a brand since 2011. Who else is doing it at this level and at this scale and at this technique and at this quantity? Yeah. And that's why I wanted you, if you could, to open up as many as possible, as long as they could be done well. So yeah. people would know, right? Like, I don't think people understand just how hard it is to carve out a voice when everything is the same. And I think one of your critics could probably say like, well, like she made something that like anyone could have made, so she can't lay like claim to it. It's a really slippery slope to talk about without sounding like a self-indulgent asshole, right? But the fact of the matter is how you did things is no different than any other, I would say, mm -hmm. artist that put something together that is your voice. And when other people copy that voice, I get fucking pissed. I get, I hate it so much. My dad, <laughs> step down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel when that happens, right? Like, are you, it's obviously flattering. It's flattering. It's flattering. But and you know what is, I think, the hardest thing too, and this is for any industry, is that there's always someone hungry coming up, right? When Squirrel started, no one was really doing breakfast and lunch at the quality no that we are. No alcohol. So. That's, you're doing significant sales with no alcohol. That is the hardest way to do it. It is the hardest way. And I just remember Josiah Citrin from Melise being like, I'll never do that model service. You make no money. Like, go have fun doing that, you know? And I think people seeing that it can somehow work and what it takes to work is moving the line, moving people through, which is also the hard part about that service, you know? I've started to see other places around Squirrel opening with very similar all-day concepts, which in some ways reduces how busy we are, you know? So it does take people away from, from what we're doing because they're trying out a new place. But my biggest fear was that they wouldn't come back. That's not been the case, though. It's not been the case. People love you more than ever. The line well, has never really stopped. It it. It's slower. I kind of want to get one of those like CCT cameras yeah. that are like, come now, or like the Krispy Kreme sign that's like hot donuts, short line. But I think that is my concern is that there are a lot of options continuing to open in the food space in, in LA. And that's why we have to keep iterating. And that's why you have to just keep being better is you can't stop. The fear of someone on your tail is a real fear that I have. How do you expand Squirrel when so much of what you do is based on time and place and terroir, right? Like mm -hmm. I would love, and I'm pretty sure like, and I know that you've thought about it, would love to have a squirrel. I think all of Manhattan would love to have a squirrel. I think Squirrel Manhattan. Away is something that could be. Is that how it you wouldn't, do it? Yeah, because it wouldn't have the same level of terroir. It's really hard here because we preserve all the Meyer lemons. Like how are you, we would preserve them here and then ship them or we, you'd, you, and the problem is if you're buying preserved lemons that are not made fresh, they taste like palm olive. They just taste like, like a soap. It's not the same flavor. So that's been the challenge of evolving squirrel is that everything is like, all of our jams are still made in house. We're doing 35,000 jars a year in copper jam pans that make 25 to 30 jars a time. That's 10,000 pots of jam we make a year by hand. Something has to give at some point. But for now, I don't know. It's like, how do you, this is what I've made for myself is like ticking time bomb. <laughs> I know the feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this oh is how God. we really talk. Like, no, really. Behind the scenes, it's just like, we, it, we're so dumb. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, but at yeah, least I yeah. put pants on today. I, you know, hey, that's a it's it's a plus. One leg at a time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I'm gonna finish on this because I wanted to like I I don't want to just show that like I, I'm just a great defender of and, and champion of what you've done. I also want to like admit my own stupidity. Like, Squirrel's been around for what say eight years, mm -hmm. twenty eleven, and I only ate there what three years ago. And partly is because like, I was like, oh, you got to check out Squirrel. I'm like, ah, oh, fucking shut up. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And like, you look at the menu, I'm guilty. Yeah, I'm it's like, toast. This it was toast. Side. And I call it quote, white, white people yeah. food. White people food. Because it, it, it is. I know. It, it is. Let's I know. be honest. Well, I, I tried a hot sauce today. I was like, this is, this is white person spicy. <laughs> And I'm not saying a derogatory or even race. It is just what it is. It's a whole genre. And 
Anyway, I don't even know how to describe it. I just was like, no, I, I, I have to go to Cape Town. There's other things I want to eat. And then I finally went and you were there and I ate the chicken porridge. I had the eggs. You gave us all this other shit. And I was like, fuck, this is one of the best meals I've had maybe in ages. Yeah. And I was like, I am so dumb. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I was disparaging your food, not intentionally, but I was thinking that, oh, there's a ceiling on how great this food could be. And I didn't see that. There was all this love, care, and technique because you're making it all from scratch. And then tension was the most pure thing. And you're just trying to feed people. And I was like, this is the restaurant that, like, we need more of. I think that's why you also love Spoon by H, this other restaurant. Oh, I love it so much. You know? and, and I think to get this message across to people is actually really important that the restaurants that chefs care about, that we love, a lot of times— it's about like there's a heartbeat in the restaurant. There's real like love and passion and like dedication to the craft. And like love can take you so much, but you know when you go into a restaurant and it's like they're phoning it in yeah. or they're just not there anymore. And it's hard to convey that message to people sometimes that don't know. But I'm glad the hype is real. There is a lot of hype that surrounds Squirrel. And I know that I've had to learn that I can't please everyone and that I will not live up to the expectations of everyone that comes in. But I believe in what we're doing and the food that we're putting out. And I'm proud of the team that is there doing it. And it's progressive. It really is progressive. And I, I, I'm excited. If I'm excited to eat that food every day. And that was a question you asked. Do you eat your food every day? I'm like, fuck yeah, I eat this food every day. Because it's delicious. <laughs> and it's what I want to eat, you know? So... I think the biggest, a big message is like hearing about places where there's like a real heartbeat behind the scene that like loves it and wants to be there and wants to keep it moving. Like Ori from Bestia, that restaurant and Bavel, fuck, it's so good. And you just know he's there. They're him. Yeah. And his they wife. Are him. Yeah. And that is the purest thing you can ask for, you know? Um, I, I want to end it on a pause note, but this isn't, I don't know if it's going to be super positive, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just how we roll here. You've done this on your own, the success of financing and the structuring, and you're very intelligent, so you're going to figure this out, and you have an insane work ethic. But there's a lot of people that may not understand how you got there, and they probably look at you and like, I want to be like her, but I don't want to do squirrel, but how do I do it? And the one thing, obviously, with all the shit that's happened in our industry in 2018, 2019, and so on— it's like, it's caused me to take a different approach as to, wait, like, why is, why are there more opportunities for men? And so on and so for forth. For you? Yeah, me yeah. and like my peers that are dudes. Mm -hmm. How much of a frustration is it for you to not get all the opportunities, not even the accolades, the opportunities? And I'm glad that you have them, but like, listen, for someone to be, have the, 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 the influence that you've had, you should have more at your disposal. I have to hustle for them, to be honest. Like I, I was supposed to have another restaurant open last year and for reasons it did not happen. And when that chapter closed, I reached out to a number of people and I got very lucky to find this opportunity, but it really came to me. And I think that that is the most interesting thing is that maybe, maybe I'm not the most, I'm not on Instagram every day. I'm so in the weeds with what I'm doing at the restaurant that sometimes I'm I'm not the best self-promoter. Um, You're still doing the very thing that got you here, right? Yeah. Like you want to make it great. Yeah. But are you, if maybe I mean, someone's I listening, would, they're like, hey, hey, you got books and you're this and your brand's so great. People might think like offers are pouring in. No. You know where the offers tend to come in is through, I would say someone like you who would connect me to someone. I mean, and, I tried to, yeah. here's the thing. I tried to connect you to someone recently. Yeah. In the past year. And I was very upset. They didn't really reach out. They did in a, in a very short way, but not, not in a finite way. Um, I was like, you guys are idiots if you don't give her idiots. everything she like, wants. You're so Ren and Stimpy right now. <laughs> you idiot. I was so fucking pissed. <laughs> you know, I, I think the thing about Squirrel is it's viable. It's a people on the back end when they see what kind of people come into this space on a weekend, 12 to 1500 people. Like it's a big operation for how small of a space it is. Um, 
People need opportunities. But I think they see it as a very humble spot and they wonder how it, I would perform in a real restaurant. Yeah. You know? And so I think that this new space will kind of shine light on that, that I can take that fire that I've put into Squirrel and apply it to a place that has $800 chairs. Well, people with money see what they need to see and they want to see. And oftentimes it's pretty myopic. Mm -hmm. And they'll probably look at it. And I, I spent enough time with these people. They're probably looking and it's like, well, you know, does she have the operation? Can she do this? Can she scale this? Blah, 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 blah. What they're not seeing is she did this from nothing with literally nothing. Yeah. She built it herself. There's no finance alcohol. Myself. Yeah, finance yourself. There's no alcohol revenue in this. What do you think she can do with something? <laughs> That's how I look at it. Well, there's my uh, my sophomore slump fear again, kicking in. We'll see in June how that works out. But I think that's also why it'll be nice to it. Ha I have Gabby, someone who has done full service and can kind of help be a lift for me in this round too. Maybe that's what I was looking for: is someone to share the weight. Well, besides the restaurant, without the name yet, mm -hmm. Raccoon's always an option. The Squirrel Book came out last year or two years ago? 2016, 2016. a few years oh, ago. Shit. Yeah. You have this jam book coming out. Is there anything else that people should be aware of? I mean, Squirrel Away. Squirrel Away. Yeah, the jam book and the restaurant opening in June. I think that's good for me for now. <laughs> yeah, I think- More! more. We need more! Well, well, here is the thing. Like, Squirrel, next door to Squirrel, is actually going under construction and becoming- a larger prep kitchen. So, but that's like internal, internal things. No, but here's the thing. People need yeah. to know that yeah. shit. Yeah. We you have know? to actually move out. So this is why I've been in sweatpants is that we have to move out yeah, of that's our the kitchen. Only, only reason. I know. I know. <laughs> Do I have to get out of bed today? Um, there's a kitchen next door to Squirrel. Squirrel's 800 square feet, but next door to Squirrel is 1600 square feet. And it is all dedicated to prep, but it's in a kitchen that is not... No one should be prepping in there. There's no hood. It's induction burners. It's very basic. So we're going in and basically all the money that I've made at Squirrel is going back in to build out this state-of-the-art kitchen for Squirrel. Again, people need to know if they're not in the industry or if they are, the fucking insane achievement for you to do all of this with your own money. Yeah. I mean, it's also why I don't have kids yet because literally like this is my child and all the money is going to private school, which is the next door prep kitchen, you know? <laughs> yeah. So moving the staff to a commissary kitchen where they're going to have to prep and bring everything in every day has been a huge weight on my shoulders. But it has to happen. Like we've outgrown the space. We've outgrown our ability to prep in a quality way. And it will give us the legs to do so much, so much more. So you know, we're doubling our walk-in. We're putting in a hood line, all the things. Very, very exciting stuff. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Anyone want to come see the state-of-the-art kitchen once it's done, just just email us. Done and done. Yeah. Uh, I will get you out of here because I got to get moving myself. But uh, thank you, Kozlo, for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thanks all for right. having me. You got it. Thanks, Jess Kozlo, for joining me as our guest on the show. Please check out her restaurant, Squirrel, her new restaurant she's opening up in Santa Monica with Gabrielle, and her new takeaway spot, Squirrel Away. I'm not sure when and where, but when it does open up, buy as much as possible. As you've heard, Jess is real special, and she's one of the great chefs America has, and I feel like people need to be copying her philosophy and her sort of spirit, not her food. The path that she's trailblazed is unique and in her own, but how she does it and, and the business that she's created is inspirational, and I think that's really the model that a lot of younger cooks that are just starting out should look at. It doesn't always have to be the three mission star restaurant because I think it's very clear to me what Jess and the team at Squirrel do and they cook and their philosophy is, you know, their their passion and their care is just as great as any of the fanciest restaurants you might see on a top 50 list. And uh, the fact is, is like, I would rather eat at Squirrel than say 90% of those restaurants. So uh, I'm going to answer a couple questions from askdave at majordomomedia.com. We keep on getting a lot of these, one of which is from... Donald Wilson, he's asked, small group of friends, 
are going to San Sebastian in June. I believe there was a podcast where you talked about your experience there. Any ideas, recommendations would be greatly appreciated. You know, I think more and more I find using uh, Airbnb in San Sebastian, they have some hotels. I believe Santa Maria has been recently renovated. I've stayed there a couple of times. It's, a, it's probably the most iconic hotel in San Sebastian, and it's uh, centrally located. San Sebastian reminds me a lot of Northern California, the weather specifically, and sort of the rocky ocean terrain. But just uh, one of my favorite cities, and I tend to save uh, my eating like I, I try not to eat the food of San Sebastian anywhere else other than San Sebastian, because like you know what, like it's just a special place to me. So I try to go there. You know, I don't get to go there that often, but it's a place that I think about a lot. They have a lot of restaurants outside San Sebastian that are fantastic and, and very hard to get into. Uh, about probably 30, 40 minutes outside San Sebastian is El Cano. That's the fantastic Turbo restaurant. They serve other things other than turbo. And when it's in season, like the wintertime, man, like that fish is one of the most delicious things. It haunts me. It is so fucking good. I don't even know how to describe it other than it's like nirvana for fish eating. And turbo is still my favorite fish, particularly how they cook it there. And everything they serve there is delicious. The, the tuna and tomatoes when it's in season, the fish soup, and another restaurant that's fantastic and one of the world's best outside of San Sebastian, I think a little bit further out an hour away, closer to Bilbao, is Echabari. I cannot spell it for the life of me. Everything's a little bit different in Basque region. It's E-X-T-E-R-I-B-E-R-R, Niner, something, something. Uh, you can look it up. There's a lot of information about Echabari and the lineage and, and famous chef and how they cook over everything over wood and charcoal and the quality of their ingredients and how beautiful the restaurant is nestled in like the valleys and, uh, and the mountains of, of that region. It's It's just maybe the most beautiful place, I really believe, to, to have a restaurant and their food matches it. And I think it's gotten a little bit fancier and refined over the years, but my God, like, I think it's one of those few restaurants that every chef I know fucking loves. It just never fucking disappoints. It's a real special place and it's, you know, it's not cheap at all. It's definitely something you save up for, but the quality of ingredient that you're going to get there is second to none. And uh, whether it's the shrimp or their steak Everything they make there is delicious. And it seems simple because it is, but like that's the that's why I want to eat there because he's been cooking over those those charcoal grills, the fire for like 40 plus years. So like I want to taste that intuition. And you know, I, I try not to eat like that kind of cooking anywhere else in the world because I want to eat San Sebastian food in San Sebastian. And obviously with restaurant Arzac, Juan Marie Arzac, one of my favorite people, mentor, icon, and his daughter, Elena Arzac, and the sort of, I mean, he is sort of the father of modern gastronomy in Spain and Europe, one of the greatest individuals I know and, and someone I really look up to and aspire to be more like every day. Um, listen, I could talk forever about San Sebastian. Great place. Juan Marie, love you. Anthony uh, at Muguritz, a modern restaurant and has been modern for 20, almost over 20 years now, has contributed more to dining than I think people realize. So check out Muguritz. It, it will push you and pull you in ways you didn't anticipate. And it is, um, it's a high wire act of what they pull there. And it's one of my favorite places and still is after all these years. Like that guy is one of the greatest chefs, uh, Anthony Azariz. And he had opened up with his team a new Mexican restaurant, uh, I think a couple years ago. And it's delicious. Sorry, I don't remember the name, but it's near uh, Hotel Santa Maria. Really fantastic. And a lot of fun and great drinks. But that's the thing is like, there's so many great places to eat in San Sebastian. One of our friends, Kevin Patricio, who uh, was uh, from Baltimore or Maryland, he has uh, opened up a Basquiat brewery. It's a great, great place. Uh, I don't even know. Like, it produces how many beers now, but they're all delicious. Super proud of what he's been able to accomplish. Check it out. I don't know if you can get it in America, but check it out. Maybe they do. Basquiat Brewery. Kevin is... Uh, one of my, my my favorite people in the world, but plus like whenever I'm there, he is so hospitable. So shout out to Kevin. And uh, I guess what this question is from Donald 
if I get back to it, was about pinchos too, right? I'm not a world expert on pinchos. There are a lot of different places. I know that Eater has a pretty good guide about where to get pinchos. It's a little bit dated, I think, but I still like Gambara. Um, it is very crowded, which is why I don't care about like talking about it because like it's well known and tourists go there already, but like and locals. Everyone says don't go downstairs to eat at Ganbara, but I think downstairs is just as great and different than upstairs because you can get the chuleta steak, you can get the grilled turbo, and the fish soup there is delicious as well. But upstairs is a different dining experience. It's it's all pinchos, it's all standing, and um, that hongo, the the the, the porcinis and the egg yolk is just one of the more iconic, delicious dishes that you can't really recreate anywhere. I don't know why. Just I've tried copying it; it just doesn't taste the fucking same. So I hope I answered your question about San Sebastian. So that's it for this week. Check out plan a trip to San Sebastian. Big shout out to Jessica Coslo. If you have any other questions, keep on sending them in to askdave at majordomomedia.com. Stay tuned for next week. Thank you again for the support. Peace.